It brings great joy to me to hear you worship as you did this morning, to lift your voices. And I trust that it brings great joy to God as well, to hear you worship Him and praise Him as you have. What a privilege to be together, to study the Word together. I want you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. This has been a wonderful study in the book of Colossians. I want to just kind of let me insert a commercial announcement right here. I'm not selling anything, but I do want you to have uh, copies of these sermons. If you have missed any of them, there's a a piece of uh, paper on the literature table that it's an order form, and you can order any of uh, the messages in this series. If you haven't heard some of them and you want to catch up, I would encourage you to do so. You can also get them from the website if you go to Higgins Lake Baptist Church. That's really long, I know. HigginsLakeBaptistChurch.com. You can find these messages in downloadable format on the Internet. But we'd be happy to put them on a CD for you. If you would like, just take one of those information sheets and and follow the instructions on that sheet, and we'll get you copies of these messages so that we can be together. So we can be together on the same page through these studies. I think they're helpful to us, not because I'm preaching them, but because these, this is God's Word. And as we study methodically through the Scriptures, verse by verse, we find so many things that apply to our lives today. And to be together as a church is, is, would be very helpful. If you've missed those messages, I would encourage you to get those, all right? be happy to give those to you at no cost to you. We've been learning in Colossians that we have been reconciled to serve. We've been reconciled to serve. We are saved to serve. I've known of churches who use this phrase, and maybe you've heard it before too, every member a minister. You ever hear that before? Every member a minister. I like that as a, as a reminder as a reminder to us of uh, the role of God's people in the church. You know what? I'm not the only minister in this church. This church is full of ministers. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is our responsibility collectively to minister to those who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every every member a minister, I like that. As believers, each of us is called to serve. Each of us is called to serve. And as we come to this passage in Colossians that we're going to look at today, verses 26 through 29, we're going to look at what our service or ministry involves What we'll see is that our ministry is this, and if you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you the outline very briefly here. Our ministry is this, to proclaim Christ. Our ministry is to proclaim Christ. The results of our ministry is that believers are perfected in Christ. Okay, We're to proclaim Christ, and the results of our ministry are that believers are perfected in Christ, and our ministry can only be done properly. Through the power of Christ. You need to know that. I need to know that. Otherwise, we'll spend a lot of time spinning our wheels, right? Proclaiming Christ, perfected in Christ, and powered by Christ. Those are the three aspects of ministry that we'll be looking at this morning in these verses. Colossians 1, verses 26 through 29. Let's look at them together now. Verse 26. Actually, let me back up for context. Go back to verse 25 where Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And then we begin in verse 26, the word of God fully known. Verse 26 says, the mystery 
hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What is our ministry? What is our ministry? I gave it away here a moment ago. Our ministry is what? It's proclaiming Christ, isn't it? Our ministry is proclaiming Christ. Back in verse 25, I read it just a moment ago, of which I became a minister, Paul says, according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known. Right? The ministry, the stewardship to make the Word of God fully known, Paul says. Our ministry, our ministry is a proclaiming ministry, and it's one of proclaiming Christ. Paul says that he has this stewardship from God to become a minister, to make the Word of God, that is, and I want you to know that that is Christ. We're to make Christ fully known. Which is, as the verses we looked at this morning, verse 26, the mystery hidden for many ages. Why do we minister? We minister to reveal the mystery. What is the mystery? Well, I love how God's Word is its own best commentary. And let me give you a quick piece of advice. If you want a commentary on the Bible, start reading the Bible, right? You know this. If you read the Bible, you find out, wow, this is a lot like what I read elsewhere. And Also, if you have a good Bible, you'll find some good cross-references and follow those and read the Bible and let the Bible comment on itself. I want to do that for just a moment because there's some passages throughout the Scriptures that talk about the mystery that are very helpful to us. Why do we minister to reveal the mystery? What's the mystery? Listen to what God's Word says about the mystery. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And then listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It speaks of the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Remember, they're members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then note Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say this, And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, we see that the riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in you. Do you see the words there? Look at verse 27. The mystery revealed is Christ in you. Now that's a wonderful truth for the believer in Jesus Christ. 
Let me just tell you how wonderful that is for just a moment because I want, I want, this, I want this to sink in. Christ in you. This is a wonderful promise, a wonderful truth for the believer in Jesus Christ. It's like the old hymn, You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. That's how I know. Christ in you. Listen to John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Isn't that beautiful? That's Christ in you. That's Christ in you. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Christ in you. This is the one that we proclaim. Christ in you. Christ the hope of glory. He is our hope for eternity. Right? And we rejoice in that. We think about eternity. He is our hope of glory. He's our hope of eternity. But, let me tell you this, because this is important for today, for now, for life. He is also living in us in the present. He is our hope for all of eternity. But He is our hope for today. Because those who are followers of Christ have Jesus Christ living in them. I'm going over the top this morning trying to emphasize that because sometimes I think we forget, don't we? And we get into our day and we get into our life and there are times when we go, what am I to do? You know, what, Why this problem? What am I to do? This is the one we proclaim. Christ in you. Ray Steadman says it so well. Ray Steadman, a godly pastor and minister, passed away several years ago, but he's still preaching today in, um, in the availability of his uh, manuscripts of his teaching and preaching. He says this, There is the great mystery. There is the great mystery. It is the greatest truth taught in the Bible, and yet it is the most seriously missing element in many churches today. Most Christians in our churches understand that Christ died for the forgiveness of their sins. They believe that and came to Christ because of that. But that is where most of them stop. Relatively few, it seems, ever go on to grasp that fact that Jesus died for them that he might live in them. It is his life in them that is the source of power, change, and deliverance and the ability to resist temptation. That is how loneliness is met and companionship provided. It is not enough to know that Christ died in order that we might go to heaven. We are also to know, understand, and practice Christ actually living in us now. Amen. One of the wonders of the gospel is that not only did Jesus die to save us and give us a future in glory, but he is living in us right now. That's a wonderful truth. That ought to encourage you greatly. And that should make a difference in our lives today. And when you get bad news from the doctor, take heart. Christ is in you. And when you're facing great temptation at work, remember, Christ is in you. And when the children are gone and grown up and gone and out of the house and things are way too quiet, I always tell Carolyn this when there's this, she doesn't like me describing our laundry pile. 
She's not here. It, um, it's, you know, ten people. It's constant. It's never done. It's constantly growing and, you know, moving. And, and she, you know, every once in a while she's like, I just wish we could catch up with the laundry. And, and a while back we said, okay, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to divide up the laundry and, and then uh, we're going to work oldest to youngest. And so if you're not, um, you know, if you're not one of the oldest five, you're not doing laundry yet. But in our house, the oldest five help with laundry. So on Monday, the oldest starts. And then on Tuesday, they do laundry all day. And then on Wednesday, they do laundry all day. And, well, not all day. Okay. But the idea is to keep the loads going, right? And they, and they go down and keep the load going, keep, put the next one in and move it over. And, you know, it's like I said, I never knew how to do laundry. I learned how to do laundry in boot camp, you know, with a brush and some some soap, and I scrubbed my clothes and rinsed them out. That's how we did laundry in boot camp. And so I learned how to do laundry myself. I want my kids to know how to do laundry. I never did laundry growing up. I want them to do laundry, and that will help you, Carolyn. But here's the thing. I tell her, one day, you're not going to have any laundry to do. One day the house will be clean, and one day it will be deadly quiet. And you're going to wish you had a mountain of laundry and that it was filthy and it was full of kids. And that's, that's the illustration that, that helps you remember that when you face difficulty, when you face that, that really quiet house, remember, you are not alone. You have Christ in you. You have Christ. That's Christ in you. What a wonderful Savior He is. Amen? He will never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to be with us always for eternity. He's promised to be, be with us in our weaknesses. He's promised to encourage us in our, in our discouragement because we have Christ in us. And what a wonderful Savior He is. Take heart in knowing that Christ is in you. He's in you. He's not just with you. God is not... I was snickered you know, years ago. You saw the bumper sticker, right? And I, Pardon me if you used to have one of these on your car. God is my co-pilot, right? He's not your co-pilot. He's, he's the navigator. He's the pilot, right? And He's not just with you. He's in you. Isn't that, isn't that special? Christ in you. He is our joy now. He is our joy now. He is our hope for eternity. We don't need to fear the future when Christ is in us, do we? Do we? We do fear the future at times. We do struggle. But that's when we need to be reminded that Christ is in us. And we have Christ to help us. What a wonderful... Savior we have and what wonderful news we have to share. What a wonderful Savior we have to proclaim, to tell others of. And that is real hope that we have to offer to the world which is so desperately in need of Christ. We talked about it this morning in our Sunday school hour. When we share the Gospel at times, there are people who just don't get it. But we have this precious news to share to a world that is lost and dying in sin and sometimes they don't even realize it. But It's our job to proclaim Christ, isn't it? And to tell them, it is Christ that we proclaim. Do you have Christ in you? I want to just pause for a moment here. Because this is important. Do you have Christ in you? I never want to take uh, take for granted that you are all followers of Christ. Because there's a likelihood that there's somebody here today who has not trusted Christ. So I ask, have you trusted Christ? Do you have Christ in you? You know, you can have Christ in you today. You can have Christ in you this very moment if you will yield to God, if you will trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. You know, you need to 
turn to Christ and believe that Jesus died for your sins, you know what that means? Is that you have to confess that you're a sinner. That's what a lot of people struggle with. They don't want to confess that they're actually sinners. So if Jesus died for your sin, you've got to confess that, yes, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. I can't come to God on my own terms. I have to come on His terms. And I am a sinner. And I can only be forgiven through Jesus Christ. You have to come to a realization of that. So you can have Christ in you today if you will confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe that He rose from the dead and the work is finished for that sin. It's paid for. You'll not pay for that sin anymore because Jesus paid the price. You can have Christ in you today if you'll say a prayer like that to God. Jesus, I believe in You. I know I'm a sinner. Thank You for going to the cross for my sins. Thank You for saving me from from my sins. I believe in You. You'll have Christ in you today. You'll be able to experience what we're talking about. Is Christ in you? It's critical that you get that right. You know, it's Christ that we proclaim. It's Christ that we tell others of. It's Christ that it's the Christ is why we exist as a church. That's our ministry. But we are also perfected in Christ. We proclaim Christ. We are also perfected in Christ. Christ is the one we proclaim, and as we proclaim Christ, we help others. And this is important also to be perfected in Christ. It's not just a self thing. You know, we're not just trying to perfect ourselves. We are to help others to be perfected in Christ. As we proclaim Christ, we help others to be perfected in Christ. Now, you might ask, how do we help others be perfected in Christ? How do I do that? I hit them, you know, I grab my Bible and thump them on the head. Or do I put up verses on the mirror in the morning so when they get up they see verses? Is that how I do it? I don't know, maybe. But I'm not suggesting that. How do we help others be perfected in Christ? The goal of ministry isn't simply to get people saved and see people saved. I mean, the goal of ministry isn't just to have all of our pews full on a Sunday morning, although I wouldn't complain about that. Right? We don't, the pews don't need you. The goal isn't to fill the pews. The goal is to tell people about Christ to bring them to Christ, to help them trust in Jesus Christ, but the goal is not to leave them there. All right, That's why we're here today, isn't it? Because we don't want to be left at, okay, I believe in Jesus. That's not where we stop. That's just where we start, isn't it? The goal of ministry isn't simply to see people saved. It's also to see them mature in Christ. We want people to mature in Jesus Christ. That ought to be part of our goal and practice as a church. Instead of uh, the word mature, some translations use the word complete or perfect. Our goal in ministry is to teach others so that they can mature and in turn teach others and to help perfect them and make them like Christ. Not that we're ever going to be perfect this side of heaven, but you understand, don't you, that we'll be perfected in Christ because Christ is perfect and He takes the punishment for our sin. He takes the penalty for our sin. We ought to live up to what we are in Christ. And so we're constantly perfecting on being more Christ-like. Our goal in ministry is to teach others so that they can be mature and in turn teach others also. That's one of the primary reasons that we gather here every time that we gather. To be maturing, to be growing, to be perfecting one another in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 reminds us of our mission when it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
You see, it's not just the job of one person to do all the teaching in the church. Although your pastor does do a lot of teaching, it shouldn't rest on just your pastor's shoulder to be the one encouraging growth in the lives of others. Right? We all ought to be maturing one another and helping perfect one another in Christ. If you were with us in Sunday school opening, you'll know that our memory verses this month, and it's in your bulletin too down inside your bulletin, just as a reminder, you'll know our memory verses for this month are Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. They help us remember that we, that we need to be made perfect and complete in Christ. Listen to these verses, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, not just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You need to be rooted and grounded and established in the faith and flourishing in the faith. You know, a tree that's healthy and flourishing produces, doesn't it? It grows and it grows strong. And it's fun to watch my children as they grow and go through different stages and mature. Um, each of our children is different. Uh, one thing that makes our youngest our little Josiah, I don't know if he'll ever be our big Josiah because well, he's our youngest. You know how that is, right? Kind of call him our, our little Josiah. The one thing that makes him different is that he loves cottage cheese. Is that funny or what? He loves cottage cheese. He's at the stage right now where he he really doesn't eat a whole lot. You know, the kids go through the stage and all of a sudden they'll, they're devouring everything in sight. And then other times we've gone, we've gone to giving him a little tiny plate because otherwise we give him way too much food. So he, he doesn't eat much right now. But when there's cottage cheese on the table, you can't stop the kid. And he's just like, more cottage cheese. Before, before the food ever starts passing, we say, in Jesus' name, amen, before we pray. And he says, pass the cottage cheese. And I was like, so he wants the cottage cheese right now, and, and he knows he loves that. And I thought it was interesting. There, there used to be a time we could trip him up, but I thought, I'll ask him, um, if I gave you a choice between cottage cheese and ice cream, which would you take? He said, ice cream. You don't love cottage cheese that much. <laughs> I said, if, if I gave you a choice between cookies and cottage cheese, which would you take? He said, cottage cheese. He likes cottage cheese that much. He knows. Now, I, I say that as an illustration to, to point to the fact that he is maturing because there was a day when the order with which we presented him with options depended on the answer that he, he would give us. Whatever was last was what he would choose. You know, so if I said before, if I said um, cookies or cottage cheese, he'd say cottage cheese. I'd say cookies or spinach, he'd say spinach. I'd say cookies or rocks, he'd say rocks. You know, because I always said that, that thing I say last, you know. Now he knows what he wants. It doesn't matter if I mix it up. He knows what he wants. It's like when his mom used to say, do you like daddy or mommy? You know, he would say mommy. Now, when she says that, he says daddy. You know, I'm just he doesn't. I'm just kidding. He's maturing, isn't he? He knows what he wants. He's coming along. I remember bringing our oldest home from the hospital as a newborn. Kevin, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to turn red on this, but he was a little dinky thing. and I could, It's just like it was yesterday. And just in case you all are wondering, you know, you were all like this one time, okay. Um, dinky little thing. And I brought him home, and we had this little car carrier thing with a handle, and I sat him in that in, in the living room, in the center of the living room. It was a Sunday or a Monday when we got home from the hospital, and I said, okay, you get today off, but tomorrow morning, um, he's two days old, you know, I said, tomorrow morning, about 6 a.m., I want you to get up, um, put some coffee on, find the paper for me, um, bacon and eggs, please, three over medium, uh, sunny side up, you know, and um, 
uh, and then wake me at about 7.30. And he just laid there and cried. He didn't do anything. I didn't do that. That would have been really stupid, right? I didn't do that. But now I can, even though he doesn't do those things for me now. I could if I wanted to. I'm still a little bit bigger than he is. And I know where he sleeps. I could make him do you know. But he is becoming more responsible, right? He's a lot bigger than he was 16 years ago. He's a lot more mature than he was 16 years ago. He's a lot more helpful than he was 16 years ago. And he's maturing. That's the way it's supposed to be. He's capable. I know he's capable because every once in a while we get calls from other people who say, can I borrow your oldest two boys to come and do, me, do, do some work for me? So you know they're growing and maturing, right? Because others see it too. It's not just the parent. He's growing, maturing, all, as the other children are. It's a joy to see our children grow and mature. But it's a sad thing. Wouldn't it be a very sad thing for a child that didn't grow up and didn't mature and didn't change and didn't show any signs of growth? That would be unusual, wouldn't it? And it's sad when that happens. It happens from time to time. That's a sad thing. But it's, it's a really sad thing in a church when we don't mature, when we don't grow up in Christ, when we, we don't put down deep roots and take up the nourishment from the Word and from the Holy Spirit and get encouragement from others, and we don't mature. That's a very sad thing, spiritually, very sad. It's a joy to see our children grow and mature. It would be a sad thing if there were a problem that hindered their growth. It's the norm for our kids to grow, isn't it? I remember um, teaching, I think I remember teaching Kevin how to tie his shoes. And, now, and then he taught somebody, he taught one of the other kids, and now they, they all te- I only had to teach one kid how to tie his shoes. I mean, it's cool. And just, you know, lessons on parenting. Teach the oldest one first, you know. And they'll teach the other ones. It works for us. And that's the way it ought to be in the church. We ought to be teaching and encouraging and building up one another. We ought to be praying for each other. I often say on Wednesdays, look around. And I would suggest you do that today. Look around as you leave. These are the people you need to be praying for this week. Just because we didn't mention every name that's here for prayer, we need to be praying for each other. You, you and I need prayer for spiritual strength and growth and wisdom. We need to pray for one another. Nobody else is going to do it, okay? I know my mom prays for me all the time and my dad prays for me all the time, but you know what I mean. We're going to, we need to pray for each other, don't we? We need to build one another up. As our children have grown, it's been fun to watch them teach and train each other. And, and now Kevin's trying to teach me how to tie my shoes some other way, really cool way. I, I can't understand it, but that's what, that's what needs to happen in the church. As we grow and mature, those who were once adolescents, they grow up to maturity. And you know what happens? They start encouraging those who are teaching them and training them and encouraging them in the Word. And sometimes they start teaching them. Isn't that sweet? That's the way it ought to be in the church. It's the same in the church. You know, it's a real joy as a pastor to see people helping other believers to mature in their faith. I cannot do it alone. And your deacons cannot do it alone. And your Sunday school teachers cannot do it alone. We need help. We need to be together in this. Bringing others to maturity. Helping others to grow. Now, we don't necessarily want all these pews full on a Sunday morning just for the sake of being full. Our desire, like Paul, should be to present everyone mature in Christ. To present everyone fully mature in Christ. We need to pray that we will all be growing and maturing in Christ and, and that we may all... We may all be at different levels of spiritual maturity, and that's okay. In God's eyes, He may look at us and go, okay, you're a little bit different level spiritually, but that's okay, and it may always be that way. But we all need to be making progress in our walk with Christ. 
pardon me, one more family illustration, okay, because there's lots of them. I just got lots and lots of them. I remember one time when, when we went to the Columbus Zoo, there were just a few of us then. Kevin and Taylor were little tiny guys. And we went to the Columbus Zoo in Ohio, and they had a dinosaur demonstration. These great big fake dinosaurs, and they looked like the real thing to me. I don't know what dinosaurs look like, but they looked real and scary to me. And Taylor was dinky. Um, he's around here somewhere, I think. I don't see him, but he was dinky. And he was frightened, frightened to death of this one monstrous-looking dinosaur, and he disappeared. He, just, he took off. It took a long time to convince him that that dinosaur was not going to eat him whole, you know. And we, we worked, and we had to take, it took a couple of years, I think, you know. And we, <laughs> we no, it didn't take that long. We convinced him, finally, that that was not a real dinosaur. It was not going to hurt him. But we convinced, and we, and we encouraged him, and we said, it's okay, you know, it's, a, just a, it's just a fake. It's just a big model of a dinosaur. He's not going to hurt you. He just roars really loud and looks really mean. But you're okay. And he finally became convinced, and we need to do the same thing in the church. We need to convince and encourage and to bring along and to help mature and, and pray for one another. We can't afford to let one another go spiritually. We need encouragement and enrichment from one another. And that task will never end on this side of heaven. We need to keep teaching. We need to keep encouraging. Oh, I hope you encourage one another. You need to encourage each other. And we need to keep training one another and keep training other believers in the faith and keep praying for one another and helping one another. And did I say encouraging? We need to encourage each other, don't we? Because we all need to come to maturity in Christ. Mark DeVries shares this illustration of what a mature adult faith really looks like. And I think this is very helpful. So I'll share with you his illustration of what, a, what, a, what an adult faith, a mature adult faith looks like. And I'm going to share some childhood type faith, some childlike faith uh, descriptions. And you might find yourself in that list in some ways and never really have, having thought about some of these things. But let me give you some comparisons that Mark DeVries gives us by illustration. He says that, that uh, a childhood faith, uh, a Christian who has a childlike or childhood faith says good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. You know, a person, you ever heard anybody say that? Well, if you're a good Christian, you know, if you're, there must be something wrong because if you've got pain and if you've got disappointment, there's something wrong. That's not true. A mature adult faith said God uses our pain and disappointment to make us better Christians. God uses our pain, God uses our disappointment to help make us more Christ-like, make us better Christians. The childhood faith says God helps those who help themselves. But the mature adult faith says God helps those who admit their own helplessness. You know, the closer you come to Christ, the more you realize how helpless you really are and how much you need God's help in Christ's strength. The childhood faith says God wants to make us happy. This is a dangerous area. Be careful. The childhood faith says God wants to make us happy. The mature adult faith says God wants to make us into the image of Jesus, and that is so true. And there's been, there have been by illustration, there's been so many people who have wrecked their lives. Some, some have torn apart their marriages because they thought, even believers who have said, God wants me happy, which is not true. God's purpose for giving you His Holy Spirit was not to make you happy, it was to make you Christ-like. And, and many men have said, I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy, so I must, it must be that God wants me to get a divorce, so I'll divorce my wife and I'll move on and then I'll be happy. And he finds out he's not happy then either. And so we need to be careful. That childhood faith can, can lead us astray, can't it, when we say, well, God must want me to be happy. 
But God wants you to be, be made in the image of Christ. And the interesting thing is, just as a side note here, the interesting thing is, as you become more Christ-like, you become more happy. And you become more, more content because you're happy because you're content in Christ. Childhood faith says faith will help us always explain what God is doing. Uh, things will always work out. That's childhood faith. Mature faith says that faith helps us stand under God's sovereignty even when we have no idea on earth what God is doing. And I'll tell you that on this side of heaven, there are going to be times when you have no clue and you'll never know on this side of heaven what God had intended or what his purpose was. You'll only be able to rest in God's sovereignty, that he is good and he is gracious and he is all wise and he knows what he is doing and what he does is perfect and his timing is perfect. The childhood faith says the closer we get to God, the more perfect we become. A mature faith says the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. And the longer you've been in the faith and the more closely you fellowship with Christ, the more broken you become over your own sin and how deeply sinful you are. And that is true. The childhood faith says, the closer I get to God, the more perfect I become. But when you get close to Christ, you realize how imperfect you really are and how much you absolutely have to have God working in and through your life to be Christ-like. The childhood faith says mature Christians have answers. Well, you've got to have an answer, you know. Mature faith says mature Christians can wrestle honestly with tough questions because we trust that God has the answers. Do you trust that God has the answers? You've got to trust that God knows. Again, there are going to be things that we cannot answer this side of heaven. And you, you can only find rest in knowing that God is the one with the perfect answers. Childhood faith says good Christians are always strong. Mature faith says our strength is in admitting our weakness. And the more Christ-like you become, the more you realize you are weak and you need God to pour out His strength on you and in you. The childhood faith says we go to church because our friends are there and we have great leaders. And we could, you do have great leaders, don't you? We have great leaders and we get something out of it. You know, that might be why you first started going to church. Well, my friend goes there. Well, I really like the way that guy you know, preaches or whatever. Or I really like the way they sing or worship. Or they got some really nice people there. Or they, the programs are really good. The things that they offer my family are really good. That might be why you first started going to church. But the mature faith says we go to church because we belong to the body of Christ. I'm a member of the body of Christ, and I go to encourage others. And I go to be a part of what God is doing in my community through that church, through His work. That's a comparison, isn't it? When you begin to look at the... The adolescent faith and the mature faith, those are the differences, aren't they? And that's the difference that we ought to be seeing in our own lives as we mature and grow, moving from that adolescent, that childhood faith to the mature adult faith and seeing things as they truly are. It's Christ that we proclaim. It's Christ that we proclaim. And it's in Christ that we are perfected and we're perfecting others and helping others be perfected. Now, number three, verse 29 indicates how we perform our ministry. How is it powered How is it powered? It's powered by Christ. Our ministry is powered by Christ. Ministry is hard work. In case you didn't know. Alright, I think think most of you know. When you're involved, you find out it's hard work. Ministry is hard work. Note in verse 29 that Paul toils. He struggles. He's working hard for the sake of the gospel. It's not an easy task. 
Kent Hughes says the Greek word translated labor was used for work which left one so weary it was as if the person had taken a beating. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have a few times. I try to make those things few and far between. It denotes, he says, labor to exhaustion, struggling. A stronger term than labor was the Greek word used from which we derive the English word agony and was used for agonizing in an athletic or event an athletic event or in a fight. The words together describe the tremendous energy of Paul's apostolic ministry. He strained every physical and moral sinew to present every man complete in Christ. You see, Paul was able to struggle. How was he able to do it? Because he was ministering with God's power. Paul was able to struggle and toil like this because his power for the ministry was not his own. It was from Christ. And you will find staying power in a ministry when you depend on the power of Christ and not your own strength because sometimes your own strength is going to go bye-bye, right? And you're going to need the strength of Christ. It was Christ in Him and it's Christ in you that you'll be able to ministry with God's power. And the same power that enabled Paul to minister then is available to you now. It's the same power the same Holy Spirit, the same power from God is available to you and me. You don't have to serve in your own strength. You don't have to struggle day by day going, how am I going to find the energy to the next thing? How am I going to find the wisdom to make the next decision? Yes, it's going to require hard work on your part, but it is Christ who gives us the strength when we depend upon Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 reminds us that we can do all things through him, right? Who strengthens us. It's not our strength. Ernest B. Beavers notes that uh, he says, we're not left to our own resources. In a seminary missions class, he says, Herbert Jackson told how a, a new missionary, he was, uh, how as a new missionary, he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home, got permission to take some children out of class, and had them push his car off. As he made his rounds, he could either park on a hill or leave the engine running. Have you ever been there? He used this ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to that station. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Uh Uh-oh. Before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted, uh, why, uh, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble was this loose cable. (laughs) He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. He says, for two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting the power to work. J.B. Phillips paraphrases Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20 this way, How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. And then he says, When we make firm our connection with God, His life and power flow through us. Let me ask, you, where you get your power from. You get it from God? Or have you been disconnected from the source of your power? You get it from Christ? Is it Christ in you that powers you? 
Or are you trying to find some way to you know, keep your engine running until you can get back in and roll? Are you trying to find a hill to park on? Are you trying to look for some little hands to help push your, your car to a start? We're talking spiritually here. Where's your power? Do you struggle to stay strong in your walk with Christ, strong in the ministry that God has given you? Do you struggle for joy and hope? You know, if you struggle, maybe it's because you aren't truly relying on the real source of your power, Jesus Christ, that's in you. Do you seek the Lord for His strength? Do you seek the Lord? Do you seek His Word? Do you ask for His empowering? As we prayed a couple of times this morning, asking for the Holy Spirit's revealing of His truth to us and empowering us to live for Him. Do you seek the Lord for those? Do you ask in prayer? Do you seek His Word? And do you seek the Lord for His strength? Do you say with Paul in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, struggling with all of His energy, that He powerfully works within me. What a blessing. Do you say that with Paul? I need that reminder sometimes, and I'm guessing you do too. I would encourage you to come back to to Colossians chapter 1 often when you are praying for strength and come back to verse 29 and pray with Paul. For this I toil, struggling with all your energy, Jesus. Because I know you're in me. I know you're working in me. And you're working to powerfully work things within and through me. So I trust in you, God. Pray. Ask for his wisdom and strength. Our National Association of Churches has a motto that goes like this. Together we can accomplish more. Together we can accomplish more. Now, we're an independent church, as are all the other churches in our Association of Churches in the United States. But independently, we come together and we say, we're going to work together to accomplish some things because together, we can accomplish more. Together, we can encourage one another. And together, we can share resources and help one another and encourage one another and get together for fellowship like we did with a gentleman a few weeks ago for our men's retreat. And we have a state representative who is a resource for us to help answer questions and help give direction to us when we're stuck and we need help. It wasn't too long ago, four years ago or so, your church asked for help and they sent the state representative my name and here I am, like it or not, here I am, right? There are resources. Why? Because together we can do more. The church is so true of the church today. The church at large, the church here at Higgins Lake is so true of us that together we can accomplish more. It's so true. And, And I wanted to ask you this morning and in closing, are you serving Christ? Are you serving Him with His power? Because together we can accomplish more when we work together. We can accomplish more when we work together. Proclaiming Christ together. Perfected in Christ together. Powered by Christ together. Amen? Stand with me, would you please? And let's have a word of prayer as we close. Our precious Heavenly Father, we come before You right now reminded once again of where we do get the power to serve You. And so, Lord, we take great hope in the promise that there is Christ in us. What a precious gift. Christ in us. Lord, help us to not neglect using the power that You've given us and enjoying the fellowship that we have 
through this common bond of Christ in us, Lord, help us to proclaim Christ. Help us to be perfected in Christ and help us to realize that we are only powered for ministry by Christ. So help us to depend on Christ's power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.